Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Easter is coming. Resurrection Sunday, uh, something to worship, something to really, really celebrate. And I'm so glad that each and every one of you are here. I want to pray, uh, and we're going to jump right into this message today. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. And thank you for Jesus. God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. H- have you ever needed saving? Not just in the spiritual sense. Like, have you ever gotten yourself in trouble? Uh, maybe gotten yourself in trouble financially, needed someone to bail you out. You know, they bail banks out. They don't they seem to bail us out that often, but, you know, I, I, I've needed some bailouts in my time. I, I've gotten myself in some, some messes from time to time, you know, and, and when you get yourself in a mess, you're like, you know, God help, right? Um, I, I, you know, anybody else pray over your lottery ticket? <laughs> It'd be so easy, Jesus. How- how much good would I do for the kingdom with 153 million? Kevin, I would do so much good for Jesus if he would just trust me with that 153. Yes, I would have a house in Cabo, but we'd worship in that house. It'd be fine. He'd be okay with that. <laughs> right? We want an easy way out. We're like, save me. I've had some scary moments in my life. I've had some moments when I wasn't living for the Lord that I don't know how I made it home. But the Lord somehow got me home. I've had moments that I intentionally put myself in danger, not, not meaning to, but just being reckless. Speaking of Cabo, I, I uh, went to Cabo years ago. Sydney was six months old. We went and stayed with my parents there in Cabo for a couple weeks, and it was beautiful and all that. And I loved to swim. I was a very, very good swimmer. I was a lifeguard growing up, um, and, and I, I actually loved to swim as a workout. And so I was, at that point, I was in great shape. I, could, I knew I could swim 45 minutes without stopping. I was in really good swim shape. And I loved to swim in the ocean, but I had never swam in Cabo. It's a very different experience. The beach is real short. The waves are massive. They crash real hard. And I remember the very first day, the family just got there. The first thing I want to do is jump in the ocean. And I have my goggles and my earplugs. I mean, I'm standing out there just looking at the ocean, and it was red flags. And the waves were like 10, 12, 15 foot, big, big, big waves. The whole, literally the entire resort would shake with these waves. And I'm standing there next to another guy, and he was from California. And, and we started a conversation. I said, man, I want to get out there, but you just can't get out there. And he said, oh, you can get out. It's just hard to get back in. I said, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, you, you, to get out, it's, that's the rip curl right there. You just swim right, right there. That's the rip curl. I said, that right there? He goes, yeah, like right now, 30-year-old Joel jumps in the rip curl, swims out. My wife and daughter are asleep in the room. They don't even know I'm gone. I get my workout in, I'm having a great time, I'm swimming, and I'm talking these waves, like I, I would be swimming, you know how when you look, you kind of turn your head to get a breath, the wave would be literally 12 foot above me, and I'm in the gully, and then it would switch, and now I can see the resort and everything, and the waves down, and I mean, it was literally like I had, it was unbelievably cool for a while, and, and I, I had gone about 30 minutes, and I knew, okay, I got 15 minutes left of, of energy and, and that I'm used to, and, and so let me start working my way back, and I'm 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 not getting back. 
and I began to get a little nervous. And then I noticed on the shore, every time they would go up and I'd be on the top of the wave, I could see about 100 people on the beach watching the idiot <laughs> in the ocean. And then I got scared. And then I started praying. And I'm like, Jesus, I need help right now. And, 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 I, and I remembered that if you're in the rip curl, you swim at an angle. So I'm start, I start swimming at an angle, and I'm making progress, and I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And again, man, I was a good swimmer. And, I'm, and so now I'm, I'm, I'm about to make it, and I, and I waited, and I timed it, and this giant 12-foot wave, I ride this thing in, time it perfect, swim like crazy, put my foot down, and the second I got my foot down, another 12-foot wave hit me. Suck, I mean, just body slams me into the water or into the sand, knocks the breath out of me, pulls me back out like tumble in the washing machine. And, and, I, and I got up and I barely caught one breath. I get hit again. I get back up and I'm talking upside down. You, don't, you don't, which, don't know which way's up. I get back up, get another breath and I, and, I, and I start swimming again and I get my foot down on the beach again and get hit again, sucks me back out four times. Finally, finally, I made it out. I crawl out onto the sand and cried and repented. Because I would have died and my family wouldn't even have known. I got myself in a mess. And thank God, I don't know where I got to remember to swim at an angle or whatever. You know, I mean, we just want Jesus just to rat, just snatch us out, right? Send me a helicopter, you know, whatever, make the waves go away. Sometimes you get yourself into something and you got to work your way out of it. And that's really what the story of Palm Sunday is all about. This, this victorious entry of the king. And all of the people were saying as he rode in and they put the branches down and they laid their garments out and they're all singing a song and they're saying a word and the word was Hosanna. Hosanna means save us now. Israel wanted to be saved. They wanted a savior. But they were looking for a warrior, a general that would raise up an army and would defeat the Romans and give them their national independence back. So as Jesus rides in, they think that's what they're getting. And I wanna take you to this story because we've all had moments in our life where we wish God would save us. I wish God would have saved me in a different way in 2008. In 2009, after I had collected a whole bunch of real estate properties uh, and, and owned all these different properties and was feeling really big and bad about myself, I was in my early and mid-30s and, and, and thought that I was a, a big shot because I owned all these properties that were all leveraged to the nines, and I was upside down in 2009 like so many people were. Next thing you know, I was 40 and 50% uh, underwater, and I needed help. I needed help but I had to walk through a process. I needed, I needed someone save me now, but I had to walk through a process. And God got me out of it, but he let me work through a process because in the process, you learn stuff. We just want the lottery ticket. We just want fix it, God. Just fix it. Let, let my life be just, just, you know, parades and cotton candy and all kinds of fun. Just let, me, let my life be fun all the time. But it's not how it works. The Bible says that if we're gonna be a true disciple, we have to pick up our cross and deny ourselves daily and follow him. Jesus said, I guarantee you of one thing. In this life, you will have tribulation. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you for that one. But take heart for I will be with you. That's what Jesus said. Jesus is with us in the storm. Let's look at this passage, Mark chapter 11. I love, love, love Mark chapter 11. It might be one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 
This is what it says in verse one. Now, when they drew new Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on, uh, tied on which no one has ever sat before. Loose it and bring it. And if anyone happens to say to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he, uh, he will send it there and here. So they went on their way and found the colt tied by the door outside of the street and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus commanded. So they let them go and they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their clothes on it. And he sat on it and many spread their clothes on the road and their others cut down leafy branches or palm branches uh, from the trees and they spread them on the road. And then those who went before them and followed crying, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked all around at all the things as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So I want to kind of walk through a little bit of these details and check a couple things out because this entire story, in fact, this entire passage is about a very specific principle that each of us are supposed to understand and recognize and also learn how to walk in. The first thing Jesus does is tell his disciples to go take a donkey. Now, I don't know if you fully understand what a donkey symbolizes in their culture. We don't think much about donkeys. We don't use donkeys very often. Uh, I hear donkeys keep coyotes away. I live out in the country, and apparently they're good to keep coyotes away. And if you have, you know, sheep or goats or whatever, if you have a donkey, your animals will be safe. So they got a little kick to them. They got a little bite to them. They don't like the coyotes or whatever, all right? So apparently that's something they do. But we don't know much more about it. But in Jesus' day, a donkey was one of the most valuable Assets, <laughs> get that assets. Anyway, a donkey was one of the most valuable things that you could have because a donkey was a vehicle. A donkey was a farm tool. A donkey could do all kinds of things. It could carry a massive burden. They were cheap, they were easy, they were readily available, but they cost a lot of money. Donkeys were incredibly valuable. It would have been like a vehicle, like having or owning a vehicle. So for Jesus to say, hey, go into town, you're gonna find a brand new donkey just take it and bring it to me. And if anybody happens to ask, just say, hey, Jesus needs this donkey. That would be like you going down to the Walmart, finding a nice brand new Lexus, and saying, Jesus has needed this Lexus. And just taking it. And if anybody asks, just say, hey, don't worry about it. It's for the king. It's for Jesus. And they just let you take the, the, I mean, if anybody would like to sign up for that today, I'll make requests. We'll check out which cars you have and we'll see which one Jesus wants me to drive this week, right? I don't think anybody's gonna sign up for that one. But that's the first act. What is it about? It's about authority. It's about the king's authority. The king can request anything he wants at any given moment because he's king. We need to remember that when we have our relationship with Jesus is that he may request something from you that you don't like, but he's king. He's king and he has authority. So he rides in on this donkey. They're putting their garments down. They're putting these palm fronds down. Palm branches are a symbol in this culture, in all the Middle Eastern culture, but specifically in this Roman world, they were a symbol of royalty. 
If you look on, on all about Caesar and Rome and all that, you'll see palm branches all over uh, all of the artistic uh, expressions because it was about royalty. It was about the empire. So them laying down these palm branches was part of them declaring and, and symbolically saying, this is our king. They were crowning him king, so to speak. The people were celebrating. This was a reenactment of what happened when Solomon, David was dying and he declared that Solomon was king and they took Solomon down to the spring and they anointed him there and he rode up on a donkey and all the people laid down their branches and celebrated and sang that Solomon was their new king of Israel. So this is a reenactment, the line of David being established in the kingly realm in Israel. That was a fulfillment of prophecy. What's also interesting is that a king on a donkey is a symbol of tremendous authority because it's a symbol that the king is of peace. He's not at war. A king on a horse is about war. A king on a donkey is about peace. I don't have to show my force. I don't have to show myself. I've already won the battle and I'm riding in in victory in peace. I've got nothing to prove. Beautiful picture of Jesus in humility, walking in with total authority. There's no need to fight for what, I don't have to take anything. I'm in authority already. He comes into the temple, he takes a look around. It's been a good day. Takes a mental note of some things that he wants to adjust and they go home. Now, when I read the Bible, I like to imagine myself in the story. I would encourage that because there's so many things that are going on. There's so many emotions. There's so many feelings that if you're not careful, you could just brush right past them and not feel what the disciples were feeling or see what the disciples may have been seeing. And so you can imagine the disciples as they have, now they're walking in with Jesus. Man, Lazarus is with them. Lazarus was a part of this procession. Lazarus who was dead a week ago, now he's alive. The Pharisees are angry. The Pharisees are like, hey, quit, quit letting them say Hosanna to the son of David. This is blasphemy. And Jesus says, if I, let, if I silence them, the rocks will cry out because this is what God has declared is supposed to happen today. They were so angry about Lazarus, they wanted to kill Lazarus again. Cut the man a break. He was just dead last week. Jesus had to raise him up. And now they want to kill him again because the whole city is hearing about this miracle that Jesus had overcome death. And that this is their Messiah, the miraculous king. And they're celebrating him. And so the disciples must have been feeling pretty good about themselves. I mean, the disciples are constantly, if you read your Bible, they're always talking, they're jockeying position. These are young dudes. They're, they're, they're talking trash to each other. No, I'm gonna be at his right-hand side. No, I'm gonna be at his right-hand side. And J James and John, their mama, their mama, so they were the sons of thunder. I guess it was thunder mama. Thunder mama comes up and, and she's trying to bargain with Jesus to give them, they let my boy sit at your right and your left. And she's like, what are you talking about, lady? I mean, this, this whole thing, there's all this drama going on with the disciples. So you have to imagine now they're walking in, people are laying down cloaks. These dudes are feeling themselves, man. They're like, yes, this is what I'm talking about. We're Jesus is 12. We're gonna be running this whole thing. They get paid, got perks, didn't serve Jesus for nothing. It's feeling good. The next morning, Jesus wakes up and he's in a different mood when Jesus wakes up. Now they're walking into town. This is the next part of the story, Mark 11, verse 12 now. Now the next day when they had come from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps it, he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. 
In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he said, taught saying to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The king of kings has come. The king of kings has come. He comes into his house, his father's house, doesn't like what he sees. You've made this a den of thieves. See, part of what we need to understand is that Jesus was the king of peace. All of these things are fulfillments. Like, like them putting their garments down, uh, him riding the donkey, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Him coming down on the Mount of Olives, that was a fulfillment of prophecy. Them singing and, and singing the song that they sang, that's a fulfillment of prophecy. All of these things. The, the, the garment that they laid down when I was doing my research, it was called a, a talit. And a talit was their prayer shawl. It was a seamless, one seamless garment woven together. It had tassels on each of the four corners. They would put it over their head, around their neck, over their shoulders. It was, a, it was like a prayer shawl. And the tassels had symbolic meaning that was connected to helping them to remember the scriptures. And on these, these specific prayer shawls, the letters in Hebrew said, King of Kings, Lord of Lords because it was a prophetic thing that they would keep the, the memory and the prayer of the coming Messiah around their head and on their shoulders at all times. It represents the, the prophecy that was given in Isaiah 9, verse 6, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The people are seeing the king come in. They're, they're expecting a governmental takeover, a governmental shift. And the next morning when Jesus comes into town, He's in a bit of a mood. Maybe he's been stewing on what he saw all that afternoon before. But you have to think, this is throwing the, the disciples for a little loop. Because they're, they're, they're going from high as a kite. This is amazing. People, are, they're, they're in the entourage. They're marching in with the king. Imagine dinner that night. They're all celebrating, they're cheersing. This is awesome. They're eating their olives and whatever. They're, they're excited, man. It's festival week. This is, this is holy week. Passover. And then Jesus is in a really bad mood. Why is he yelling at that tree? Okay, he must have woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Grumpy Jesus. We could have got you some breakfast at the house for crying out loud. Seven in the morning, don't eat for cursing, Jesus. It's early. They had no idea what was about to happen. Jesus walks in to the temple and immediately starts turning over tables, throwing the money all over, chasing people out, slapping stuff out of people's hands, wouldn't allow anyone to carry any wares. He literally took over the government of Israel. And you have to imagine his disciples are like, what is going on now? They're nervous. Look, you can't, if someone walked up in here right now trying to take over this service, I would judo chop them right in the neck. We have security. Man, they have guns drawn. People, someone's going down. No one's taking over my house. No one's taking over. 
I'll jack a fool. I ain't scared. I'll go to jail. Kevin will bail me out. We'll be fine. I got an Amex card. I get free bail or something, don't I? Right? I'm, I'm, no one's taking over. Walk into my house. Better think again. Jesus walks into their capital and takes over, actually takes over. And no one can do a thing about it because he walked in so much authority. There's actually an ancient manuscript that I uh, had the opportunity to, to read a, a kind of a translation of. One of the names of it is called the, the Arco Volumes or the, the Acts of Pilate, the Acta Pilati. And in this, it, it was actually an ancient document that, that is in the Vatican. It's underneath in all their, the, where all they keep all the, the ancient manuscripts and documents. And it's the journal, the actual journal of Pontius Pilate. And someone years ago in the 70s or 80s was allowed to go in there and, and, and transcribe it and write it out in its original language and then translate it. And the translation, when Pontius Pilate talks about Jesus, he literally talks about how he had never been more terrified in the presence of any man ever before, and he had been in the presence of Caesar. He said, in Jesus' eyes, there was such an unbelievable love and compassion that it made you completely uneasy about yourself and the authority. He said, this is what Pontius Pilate wrote, that he, he had never seen so much authority inside of any human being in his entire life. This is the ruler of the whole region of Israel had never experienced authority like Jesus because he had never seen God in the flesh. Jesus was God in the flesh. The Bible says that the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Jesus in bodily form. All of God was inside of Jesus in bodily form. This is incredible. Nobody could touch him. He walks in and takes over. What's this about? This is about the king, Jesus, exercising his authority. Jesus exercised his authority as king of kings and lord of lords. He was the supreme authority. He actually told Pontius Pilate, you can't do anything to me unless my father allows it. You have no authority here. He said, if I wanted to, I could call 12 legions of angels to come down and change this whole thing right now. Thousands of angels at his disposal. Total authority. But the story didn't stop there. Now, now they're leaving the temple. They're riding back. It's the next day. And as they come back the next day, this is Mark 11, verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, this is 24 hours later from the morning when he cursed the fig tree. When they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe you have received them and you will have them. Believe that you receive them right now. Believe that you receive them in this instant and you will have them in your future. See, it would have been one thing for Jesus. Hey, Jesus, look, 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 look. 
That fig tree. Remember when you're in a bad mood, you woke up grumpy, you're bedhead and whatever, and you didn't feel you were grumpy that yesterday morning. Remember that? Look at the tree. It's dead. Jesus could have been like, yeah, you know, I'm God. I can do this kind of stuff. You? <laughs> you're out of luck, buddy. You're just Peter. I'm Jesus. I can do miracles, but not you because you're just a human and, and I'm God. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't just come to walk in authority to show that God has authority. Jesus came in the form of a baby with zero power. Babies have no power except to make noise and make messes. To, to, to make your nights sleepless, they have power, right? He came as a baby with no power, grew up as a normal child, at 12 years old, the spirit of God was upon him so much that he was blowing people's minds with the wisdom and the knowledge that he had. But it wasn't until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and in water that miracles began to happen. When the fullness of God came into his life, all of a sudden, a normal human body was able to walk in supernatural power and authority. Jesus is the textbook for what potential you have to walk in. That's what Jesus is. Jesus lived his life to show you what was possible. The question is this, are you walking in the authority of Jesus? Can, can, I, can I tell you that I'm, I'm dissatisfied. I'm dissatisfied in the level of authority I'm walking in currently. Peter was a knucklehead. Peter always said the wrong things and then he'd say the right things. Peter'd lose his temper and act like a fool and then he'd get things in line and he'd, he'd figure things out and he'd do things. Peter was a regular guy, a normal person, fully, fully, fully human, but then became full of the Holy Spirit. And Peter, when he walked past people, his shadow would heal them. Shadows aren't even real things. There's not even any matter in it. It's just passing in front of a light in the absence of light, the shadow healed people. Are you kidding me? We're not doing something right, y'all. Something's not right. Has your shadow healed anyone lately? No, it hasn't. Paul prayed for napkins. They would send a napkin somewhere and somebody would get healed because of a napkin. When's the last time your napkin healed somebody? Something is off in the body of Christ. We don't look like we're supposed to look most of the time. And you know why? It's because I'm too much Joel. And I'm not enough Jesus. Paul said it like this. He said, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. Oh my gosh, I wanna go to heaven, y'all. I got that unlocked, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to go maybe like 3 p.m. Get me out of here. Just, just snatch up my whole family all at once, let's all go. I got folks to see. I don't wanna be here anymore. 2020 was all I needed to say, Get, check me out. I don't wanna see 2024. Save me now, Hosanna. Get me the heck out of here. 
But for some reason, Jesus is leaving us in the storm. So we can either keep freaking out, living in the flesh, griping and complaining on social media, chatting and snapping and talking and ticking and all this kind of stuff, all the things we're frustrated about, or we could actually be Jesus on the earth. I'm dissatisfied, I'm telling you. Too much jolt, too much jolt. For me to live is not supposed to be jolt. For me to live is supposed to be Christ. Joel always thinks about what he wants to eat. Joel's at breakfast planning lunch. I promise, I promise. Man, when I go on vacation, there's only one thing that matters. What are we eating? Where are we eating? When are we eating? When are we eating again? That's all I care about. You wanna do this on vacation? I don't care. Let's eat good. That's why Adam and I are, that's why I've been best friends. We we wanna eat and we wanna eat good and we wanna eat again within maybe... 90 minutes. <laughs> Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. My food is to do the will of my Father. I'm telling you, it's too much Joel. Too much Joel in my life. And look, I, and I'm not even talking about sin. I'm just, I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about my own personal priorities and wants and, and needs and what I think is important. Too much Joel. because I wanna see the authority that Jesus talked about. Guys, I've seen it. I've walked in it. I've seen so many healings. I've seen so many miracles. Seasons of my life where I've been in a place of, of, of intense consecration and prayer and, and just simply connectivity and awareness to what God is doing. And wanted, We can get so wrapped up in the craziness of life that we're not in tune with what God is actually doing in the moment. And we walk right past stuff. I'm sick and tired of it. I want to be in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing. I was in Flagstaff yesterday. I was in Flagstaff yesterday and flew back. And I was walking into my little hotel. We stayed in this little motor lodge or whatever. It's this cool like 1940s thing that they totally retroed. It was really, really cool. And I walked past this couple and they had two pugs. I didn't tell you yet because I hadn't seen, even seen my girls yet till just now. They had two pugs, cute. Theirs were skinny though. They looked like a pug is supposed to look. Our pugs are obese, fat mongoloid monsters that weigh like 35 pounds. These pugs were like 20 pound little, little ninjas, man, just whatever. And I stopped and I pet the pugs and I, they were adorable and cute. And, and, and it was Alan and Winter were the names of the pugs. I, I don't remember the humans' names. I met the humans too. I don't remember them, but the pugs' names were Alan and Winter, right? And I, that's what I remember. But, but I, I went to walk away and as I walked away, the girl, they had all their gear packed in their car. She said, wish us luck, we're driving across country. And I opened the door and I stepped inside and the door closed behind me. And I stopped, I turned around, I opened the door. I said, hey, can I wish you more than luck? Can I pray with you right now? Let me pray, can I pray with you? Would you be, would you be comfortable? I'm a pastor, I'm from Dallas, I'm here for an event. Can I pray with you? And they said, yeah, we would love that. Her husband's name was Alex, now that I mention him. He walks up, I shook his hand. He is active military, they were on leave and they were literally driving from California to Virginia, coast to coast. And I got to lay hands on him and pray. Look, I'm not telling you this because I'm so good. I almost walked away from it, y'all, because I was going to pack my room. I had things to do. 
but I'm sick and tired of walking past moments that God wants to be active in simply because I'm busy. We're too busy. We're too entangled. Too entangled. Too much mess. Too much stuff. Too much stuff. Jesus was the Passover lamb. How wild is this? How wild is this? That on the same day that the families are selecting a Passover lamb and bringing them into their home, Jesus comes in and is the Passover lamb on the exact same day. They would take the Passover lamb into their house for four days. That means, guess what? Little bitty lamby, lamb chop, woolly, the kids are playing with them. The kids are getting to know them. The kids are naming them. They're snuggling. Have you, did you see those little baby lambs? Oh my God, have you ever held a baby lamb? It's the most amazing thing in the universe. Little baby lamb, you're naming the lamb chop, little lamby, lambskin, whatever you're naming him. They're playing with him. Four days, your kids are falling in love with this perfect lamb. And on the fifth day, you kill him right in front of them. What? Can you imagine little kids? Oh, lamb chop, no! You're killing him, putting the blood on the doorpost, and then you eat him as a family. I'm throwing stuff around here. You eat <laughs> You eat your pet. This is nuts. Oh my God. I had a gerbil die. I cried for weeks when I was a kid. Imagine lamb chop and I had to eat him. But this is what Jesus, this is the depiction of Jesus. He's the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world. He spends four days in the house of God, letting everyone come in. Listen, he, not only did he mess with the money system, the Bible says that he let all who were sick and lame and unclean come into the temple. He let everyone come in. The religious people had been excluding everyone. You had to be perfect. You had to be clean. You couldn't have a rash. You couldn't have any defect in your body. You couldn't have a cut. You couldn't have any, a sniffle, an allergy. You had to be in perfect perfect form to enter into the temple. Jesus opened the doors wide and he let everybody in. He turned their whole system of exclusion and self-elevation upside down. And then he died for us. One of the craziest things that Jesus taught was, was this message where he said, if you wanna be my disciple, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Man, that was, that's too much, Jesus. That's creepy. That's really strange. And everybody left. They all left. The disciples sitting there watching everyone leave. They're looking at each other. They're like, man, that was a little, we're going to talk with them about this one. That was a little, I don't know what, you know. And, and Jesus looks at them, probably sees what's going on in their minds, and says, are you going to leave me too? So I want, you, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel that Jesus loved people so much. I want you to feel the rejection of Jesus, watching the people he loves walk away because they can't accept the message. And then looking to his disciples and wondering, really, are you gonna leave too, guys? I've been rejected. Doesn't feel good. Jesus took on the rejection of the entire world. His disciples looked at each other and they're like, uh, Jesus, we got nowhere else to go. Well, we've left everything. And you're the only one that has the words of life. And they stayed with him. 
But when Jesus was talking about eating flesh and drinking, he was talking about this, this last supper, the communion, what, what happens at Passover. He was talking about the Lamb of God. He was talking about the blood, the innocent blood shed for the Lamb of God and, 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 and eating the, the flesh of that Lamb as part of your power. You're taking, you're taking that into yourself. You ever heard you are what you eat? Well, in, in just a few moments, we're gonna do communion. And when you take communion, it's not just a ritual that you do in church. It's not just some kind of a, what it's, it's, it's a powerful, powerful connection to you taking the identity of Jesus Christ upon yourself and in yourself. That's what it's about. When Jesus taught that hard lesson and everyone walked away, he was teaching a lesson that was about Jesus becoming your full identity. See, the problem that lots of us have Lots of us have a problem because we're just too much us and not enough him. See, years ago, I, I, I was in, um, and I want to explain this verse to you. I, I was in this season as a youth pastor. As a youth pastor, your job is revival. That's your job. Everything's about revival. Because if you, you've, got, you've got a few short years with these kids, every three years your youth group seems to turn over. So I, I was 12 years a youth pastor. I had essentially four different youth groups throughout those years. And you got three years to catch these kids on fire for Jesus. So everything's about revival. So that's all I would talk about. It's all I would, I don't have to talk to them about work. I don't have to talk to them about money, really. I don't have to talk to them. About, I mean, the, the number one thing about relationships is don't. Uh, I mean, you know, it's like, <laughs> right? I mean, so you got, you got, it's, it's just, it's a simplified. When you're dealing with adults, when you deal with adults, you're dealing with so many complex situations and troubles of life and the things that weigh you down and all this. As a youth pastor, all I talked about was revival and the miracles of Jesus, the healing. That's all I talked about. It's all I read. It's all I studied. And, and consequently, we would have miracles all the time, healings all the time. Because it's all we talked about. And there was an expectation. And in our youth services, we'd have hundreds of kids showing up. And we, were, we had people getting healed every service. Like, I'm talking about people that were colorblind and could now see colors. People that had stigmatisms and now could see perfectly. People that had asthma and didn't suffer anymore. People that, that all kinds of stuff, blood diseases, crazy stuff, sleep apnea, all kinds of stuff. We saw healings all the time. I had a lady come in, and that's what I want you to see in this passage. This passage right here that says, specifically, and I believe it's Mark 11, maybe 22-ish. It's in the middle of this paragraph, so I don't know which verse it is for them to put on the screen. But it says, if I say to you, whoever says to the mountain be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There's a, there, there's a gap Jesus, when he said to the fig tree, never bear fruit again, there was zero doubt because he was the creator of life. And he understood he can give life and he can take life. He created a fig tree originally. He said, never bear fruit again. He didn't go, oh man, I hope this works. This is really gonna mess up my illustration, but it doesn't. Jesus just commanded it and kept walking. We don't do that. We peekaboo pray. We peekaboo pray. We pray, 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 pray. That's we peekaboo pray. And in our minds, it doesn't happen until it happens. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you do not doubt in your heart, 
Whatever thing you ask when you pray, believe that you receive it right then, right then, right in that moment. I receive it in that moment. Right now, it's done. And you will have it. We don't know the span oftentimes between the receive it in the moment and the have it in the reality. But we don't need to be concerned with the have it in the future. We must figure out how to be resolute and absolute in zero doubt or division in our hearts. When we pray and when we ask, I absolutely receive that right now in this moment. I have it. That is my new identity. This is who I am, period. It's done, period. And you move on. And you will have it. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. That's what Jesus' brother James said. I remember this one service. Um, The youth building that we had was called the Neotropolis, the new city. It was just the youth building was as big as this whole thing, this entire building. It's awesome. We had hundreds of kids. We'd have events, a thousand kids would show up. I had a a Vander Holyfield as my guest speaker. I did crazy stuff as a youth pastor. It's awesome. Okay, uh, and, and, and we got this revival season. It was amazing, and kids were getting healed every week. And I remember being in one service, and someone in that service got healed of sleep apnea and never, never dealt with that situation again. One of our, our ladies, sweet African-American lady, her name was Gay, and Gay came down front, and she limped down to the front. She asked me to lay hands on her, pray for her, for, uh, for her feet. She had some type of neuropathy or whatever, and she had just that day bought $500 worth of orthotics. And I prayed for her, and we, she, in the name of Jesus, she received it right in that moment, and you will have it. In the name of Jesus, you receive it right now she received it she limped out she limped home she went to bed the whole time receiving it receiving I receive it I already receive it I receive it I already have it I receive it I receive it I have it by faith I receive it the next morning she woke up felt about 50 percent went through the day second morning she woke up receive it receive it I received it. I've already received it zero pain second day zero pain whatsoever she got up she felt zero pain she called me pastor Joel you never can believe this this is what just happened I'm calling my doctor right now I'm canceling my orthotics Jesus has healed me she never had another problem again I'm telling you this I've seen it so much I've seen it so much the same service one of our keyboardists his name was Floyd remember Floyd Floyd had a severe stutter severe like, and, and we were, we love, he's a wonderful human being, wonderful person. It was hard to have a conversation with him though, because he knew what he wanted to say, but the stutter was so severe, he couldn't get it out. Floyd was in that service watching other people get healed. And right after service, I'm, it'd be like me being right out that door. I'm just out the door and there's kids all over the place, teenagers everywhere. And, and Floyd comes up to me with this really thick stutter and, and, and says to me, I need you to do something. God has shown me you need to do something. I said, okay, were you there, Colin? You might have, I thought you might have been there that night. I know Travis was there that night. Um, and, and he said, you have to do this. I said, okay. He goes, the Lord told me that I have a speech pattern that he wants to break. I said, okay. He goes, so you have to slap me. I said, you came to the right place. I just smiled. I said, really? I said, okay. I said, you mean like right here? He goes, I guess. I said, well, let's at least step back in the sanctuary, right? I mean, we step back in the sanctuary, close the doors. There's only a couple people around. And I turned around to him. I said, look, I said, you know, this is what, if this is what you believe the Lord wants you to do, and this is the key to your healing, I'll happily do it for you. 
He said, yes, this is what he wants to do. I said, are you ready? And he said, yeah. And I, he couldn't even get it out. I slapped him as hard as I could in the face, spun his head around, like off his shoulders around. He, I mean, my handprint like this, he turns back to me, tears streaming down his face. I grabbed him and hugged him. I said, and you just received that in the name of the Lord. <laughs> it's a true story, true story. And Floyd stopped stuttering. Do you remember when he stopped stuttering? He stopped stuttering. He didn't stutter for years, had perfect speech. It was an incredible miracle, incredible miracle. And now watch this. Years later, Floyd went through something very traumatic that shook him, shook him to the core of his faith. He started stuttering again. Hadn't stuttered in years. What's my point? My point is that you have to fight to take the territory and you have to fight to maintain the territory that Jesus has for you. It's no different. What, what, I haven't slapped anybody in a long time. I want to do every day, pretty much. I, I, I'm frustrated. Can, can, can I tell I'm frustrated that, that I, there's not enough miracles happening around me. Not enough miracles happening around me. I'm dissatisfied, y'all. I'm dissatisfied with the church. I'm dissatisfied with, with, with the body of Christ right now. We're so caught up in ridiculous stuff. Jesus, save us. Save us from this administration. Save us from this. Guess what? There's gonna be another one and then another one and another one and none of them are gonna be Jesus. They're all gonna suck. They're all gonna suck. None of them are Jesus. I'm sorry, that's rude. That's rude. But to save us now, no human being will save you. You have Jesus Christ and he wants you to walk in authority in the middle of the storm. He wants you to be his authority in the middle of the storm. We're not gonna fix this world. It's not even our mission. Now, if God calls you into politics, and some of you should, go be, if God calls you into it, go be Jesus in that environment. We need godly people Bible-believing people to take positions in office. Do it in Jesus' name if he calls you to it. We got a lady, Brittany Henderson, our church, running for McKinney School Board. Every one of you that live in McKinney should vote for her. Why? Because she loves Jesus like crazy. She lives the word of God and she's gonna take care and protect our kids on the school board. It's a part of our church. You should vote for her. We got people in our local government that need to get out. And you need to take their place, some of you because you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Let's go, let's change this place. You wanna change it, let's change it. But you don't change it by complaining and posting and all that kind of whatever, that's not how you change it. You change it by prayer and action, prayer and action. And we've gotta be people of prayer, people of action. Jesus wants you to reign in the storm. We're gonna receive um, communion. I know I've been a little fired up today. I, um, I'm still on, I'm still on uh, West Coast time. I was in Flagstaff for a few days and it's two hours earlier there. So I'm a little sleep deprived and uh, caffeine infused. Um, but this is something very special we're gonna do. Um, if, you, if you need one of these, raise your hand. The ushers will get this to you and I'll explain. This is just a little communion element. And I'm gonna explain what we're doing here and we'll do it. And I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray and, and we're gonna pray together. 
communion, this, this, is, this is the picture of Passover. And, and obviously this is a horrible picture. It's a little uh, dry crust and some old juice that symbolically represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're doing this in faith symbolically. Um, and I, I want you to just kind of peel the, the very first little part of the cellophane off and you can hold this little piece of bread in your hand. I, I like to break it. And, and I break it because it, it represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken, broken for us. Now, I'll, before we take this, I wanna point out something that's super important. And that is that this is not just a ritual. This is something that is a powerful practice and exercise of your spiritual faith. Powerful. So powerful that the Bible says that some people did this with the wrong intent, the wrong motive. They would go to the church parties and they would just, they would eat and get drunk and whatever at the church party. And they didn't realize that what they were doing was they were taking the identity of Jesus across upon themselves. There's a, there's a, I've said this a number of times, but there's one of the 10 commandments is do not take the Lord's name in vain. You think it, it means don't say the bad word when you step on a Lego and put God in there too. It's not what it means. It's not talking about necessarily a word that you say. Taking the Lord's name in vain means claiming his identity, but not actually living it. Take, it, it literally says to take his name upon yourself falsely. That's what that phrase means. To take the Lord's name upon, I am a Christian, but live like a devil. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. What we're talking about today is Jesus is our identity. One of the biggest problems right now in our world is that people think that something temporary is their actual full identity. They think their sexuality, a temporary thing, is their identity. They think their skin color, a temporary thing, is identity. They think that their gender, they think that their status, they think that their financial, they think that their job, they think that they're whatever. They take temporary fake IDs and they live their life in frustration, us against the world, and it's a fake ID and they can't find any satisfaction. This is the identity. For me to live is Christ. Doesn't matter my sexuality, doesn't matter my gender, doesn't matter my skin color, doesn't matter my station. None of that matters. None of that matters. Christ, Christ is my identity. When you live with Christ as your identity, no one can hold you back for any fake ID. No one can hold you back for your race when Christ is your identity. No one can hold you back for your gender when Christ is your identity. No one can hold you back for your social economic strata because of if Christ is your identity, no one can stop you. That's the whole point of this. And we're hung up on fake IDs, mad at the world, complaining about everything instead of walking in the miracle power of Jesus. And it's gotta stop. It's time for us to live as Christ, to die is gain. Amen? <sighs> Father, we just ask you, forgive us. Forgive us for our silly notions, our fleshly thoughts, our, our substitutions for the real thing. Forgive us. Forgive us for idolatry. 
for putting other ideas and thoughts and actions and focuses before you. You are our identity. You are our entire life. Father, today as we take this bread, we're not just eating a little bread. We're not just doing a ritual. We're literally taking the identity of Jesus Christ upon ourselves and we're receiving the broken body of Jesus so that we can be whole. We're receiving the wholeness of Jesus, the identity of Jesus upon ourselves, spirit, soul, and body, wholeness in our physical body because of Jesus' broken body making us whole. We receive you right now, Christ, as our identity. Receive the bread. You can peel back the little top of the cup. This cup is symbolic of the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. The blood of Jesus that was shed for you. Because you can't live good enough to get to heaven. You'll never be sinless until you make it to heaven. You'll never be perfect until you make it to heaven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses away all of your sins. It's, it's by faith alone that you're saved. The grace of God, the faith that he gives you, that's your only thing, it's your only hope. And when you receive this, you're receiving the forgiveness, the cleansing of the blood of Jesus that you are pure in his sight. In Jesus' name, let's receive the cup. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you stand with me? We're gonna, we're gonna worship just one more time. But before we do that, I want you to do this. Um, if there's anybody here, anybody, anybody that needs healing in their body, anybody that needs healing in their emotions, anybody that needs healing in a relationship, if that's you, you need healing anywhere. You just took the body of Christ on your, on your, onto yourself. You took the identity, the body of Christ upon yourself. You need healing in any way, shape, and form. Would you just raise your hands? Just put your, put your hands in the air. There's people all around you with their hands in the air. Someone around you has their hands in the air. I want you to turn around. Turn around and, and find, find someone around you that has their hands in the air. Everyone turn around. Find somebody that has their hands. And I just want you to put a hand on their shoulder. And we're going to stand in agreement together as the body of Christ. Everybody find somebody. There we go. We're gonna stand in agreement as the body of Christ and I'm gonna make a declaration. I want you to pray this with me. Everybody say this with me. Say, in the name of Jesus, healing must come. Sickness must go. Division must go. Rebellion must go. Every single cell of every single body in the name of Jesus align right now with the identity of Jesus Christ. Sickness cannot stay in Jesus' body. Disease cannot stay in Jesus' body. Confusion cannot stay in Jesus' mind. We have the mind of Christ. We are victorious. Division cannot stay in the body of Christ. Christ is our unity. We are one in Him. In the name of Jesus, I receive healing, I receive wholeness, I receive peace, I receive restoration. Right now, in this moment, it is done, 
It is finished. I receive it now. I am healed. I am whole. I am delivered. I am at peace. I am restored. My relationships are healed. In the name of Jesus, no more. I receive it now in Jesus' name. And I shall have it. I receive it now. It's a done deal. And I shall have it in the name of Jesus. Now come on, give the Lord a hand. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Come on, give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. As we worship, as we worship, it's, it's highly likely that someone literally had a manifestation of healing in this room right now. As we worship, man, if there's something you couldn't do before, do it. Something you could, that you couldn't that hurt, do, do it. Just do it. Step out and do what you couldn't do before. We're gonna worship the Lord and let's just let healing manifest in this room. Amen? Come on, let's we worship. pray this let's message go. has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.